What, how, and why? What, how, and why? The three readings from today. What, how, and why? Then you'll know when I'm coming to an end. As soon as I get to why, you know that it's almost over. (laughs) What, how, and why? Remember last week's gospel, the, the Lord talked about how when he calls someone to discipleship, they must answer right away. They can't even go home and you know, bury their dead or say goodbye that there's supposed to be this urgency when he calls. So then today, we hear, you know, continuing on this theme, he calls and sends 72 out as disciples to proclaim that the kingdom of God is at hand. He sends them out as sheep among wolves. He tells them that it's going to be dangerous, they're going to be rejected, sometimes they'll be welcomed, sometimes people will receive their message uh, fairly and charitably, but other times they will not. And there's there's a likelihood, great likelihood of persecution. So what the Lord calls his disciples then, he of course calls his disciples to do now which is to go out and proclaim the good news. And what's interesting about that is it's, it's principally your job, not my job, to go out and proclaim the good news. I get to just proclaim it in here. But it's, it's the particular task of the laity to go out and to transform the face of the earth with God's power, to speak of his mighty works, his wondrous deeds. It's the task of the laity to evangelize, right? It's my task to just, you know, only work one day a week and say, (laughs) I do what I can, you know, within here to empower, to assist, to teach perhaps, to sanctify through the sacraments. But ultimately the people must go forth and go out to proclaim the good news. That's the what. And every single one of us, by virtue of our baptism, have been called. There's not a single one of us who has not been called to proclaim the good news. And what is the good news? The good news is what was called and is called the kerygma, which is a Greek word. It doesn't matter. You don't have to remember it. You should remember it, though. It's good. It's good to remember that. Kerygma. Jesus died for my sins and rose to new life and opened heaven for me. He died for my sins, his saving death on the cross forgave my sins, and his resurrection opened the gates of eternal life. So the what, when you think about what are we called to do, are we called to do more than that? Perhaps, but we're at least called to do that. We're at least called to proclaim that Jesus has died for my sins, our sins, and has risen to new life and opened the gates of heaven. That's the what, how. The second reading, uh, St. Paul talks about how he will only boast of the cross of Christ. You see, what had happened to St. Paul is he went to Athens. And at that time in Athens, it was filled with philosophers. All right, who knew their Plato and their Aristotle. They knew how to argue. 
They knew how they knew logic. And so when he went to Athens, Paul tried to kind of hang with the philosophers. It turns out he didn't do very well. Actually, he gained a few converts, but the Athenians were kind of like, yeah, well, we'll, we'll catch you later, you know, maybe work on a few things and we'll hear your message later. So Paul actually was a bit dejected. And he recognized that, that going into that kind of place and trying to sort of argue, if you will, with the pagans using their philosophy was not going to be that effective. So he comes back and he sort of, he, he sort of, I don't know, I guess he, he comes with, up with a new methodology, as it were. He recognizes that going through all of that stuff did not bring or bear a lot of fruit. And so he's reduced back to the essentials. And he says, I will boast of nothing but the cross of Christ. That Christ's death on the cross has forgiven my sins and opened the gates of eternal life for me. That's the essential Christian message. So, Father John, how am I supposed to evangelize? What does it mean to evangelize? Well, evangelize comes from, hey, another Greek word, just thought of it, evangelium, which when translated means gospel. It just means proclaim the gospel, to evangelize. Do what Paul did. Proclaim the saving death of Christ on the cross. When people ask you, well, why do you go to church on Sunday? You're one of those Catholics. You're one of those Catholics who actually goes to church on Sunday. To qualify it even more, why do you go to church? Jesus Christ died on the cross and saved me from my sins. How could I not? He asked me to show up one day a week for about an hour to say thank you. And then he gives me more. His grace in the Eucharist. How could I not give him one hour a week? Jesus Christ saved me from my sins. That's why. While you seem to really love your wife, which shouldn't be that big of an exception, but you seem to really love your wife, you have a great marriage. Why, why is your marriage so great? You know why? Because I put God first. God comes first in our marriage. It's God who has brought us together. It's God who is the foundation of our marriage. It is God who died on the cross for me, Jesus Christ. And that always stays at the forefront of our marriage. He's the one who binds us together. You know, teen, we have tonight teenagers with us. About 21 teenagers are going to Notre Dame again, which is wonderful. And it's a conference centered around uh, leadership and, and catechesis, um, you know, education, etc. It's a great opportunity. But it's also a great witness. It's a great witness. Because teens, you are doing something. You're taking an initiative. Now, I know you want to get away from home for a little bit. I mean, and that's fine. That's totally fine. However, you know, there's a lot of ways to get away from home. There's going to be a bit of work. There's going to be a bit of prayer. There's going to be a bit of sacraments, right? And these are all good things. But you're about to immerse yourself in a more focused experience of Christ and his church. You witness tonight to this entire community of saying yes to Jesus. 
It's not a mistake for any of you that you are going to this conference. God doesn't make mistakes. God always has a plan. And he's called you to this somehow. You know, you have your story of, of, of how it's come about, but God has his. And your story always fits into his larger story. So he has a plan for every single one of you. And he's going to gift you with something during these, these next few days. Receive that gift because it's part of the call. He calls, he gives gifts, and then he sends out. Every single one of us should, should take their example to heart. They're giving up, you know, 10 days or so of their, of their summer. And yes, they're going to have some fun, and that's fine, but some of it's going to be work. How often do we take 10 days just to focus on God? And I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm just trying to get us to reflect. When was the last time I actually gave that much time to God? It's good for us to think about it. Right? Because there's so many things in life that pull us in these different ways. Family, work, right, etc. And they're good things. They're not bad things. But how is God fitting into our life? If we say he's the most important thing, are we making room for him? It's an important reflection. So, how? In the practical everyday of our lives, when called upon, we profess the saving death of Christ on the cross. He forgave my sins, and he opened up heaven. That's the first element, if you will, or first message of evangelization, and we can all do that. Tell me more about it. I can't. Just go to church with me. That's what Father John's for. I can't, I don't know, I can't tell you more than that. I don't need to tell you more than that. God saved me. What else do you need to hear? Come and see. Come and see. All right, the why. This first reading from Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah, he's, now it's, it's an analogy, right? And so we have this, this imagery of Jerusalem as a mother. And all mothers, when they have their little ones, you're constantly taken care of. Except for hopefully, hopefully when they go to sleep, right? But when they're awake, you're constantly caring for them, feeding them, right? Taking care of their every need, making sure they're okay. That's what a mother does. And so the imagery that is given to us is that Jerusalem is going to be made into this for us. And essentially what's being told to us is that when, when the Savior comes, Jesus Christ, he's going to transform the church so that we will all be taken care of and fed. In this life and then ultimately and forever in the next. And so how are we taken care of and fed? Through the Holy Eucharist, through the sacraments, through God's grace. Not through all of the amazing or not amazing priests you've met throughout your life. They're just the goofballs who do it. But what God does through the priest is what's amazing. The man himself isn't. Trust me, I'm one of them. Right? The man isn't necessarily amazing. It's what God does. It's what God does through the priest. And so on this altar, he will feed us with himself, with his grace. In that font, 
In that font, many have been transformed and have been saved and configured to his grace, receive sanctifying grace. And so how are we fed? How are we nourished? Through grace. Christ continues to pour out his grace upon us so that in this life we have a foretaste of heaven and in the next we have all of it. We have everything we need and desire for eternity.